0: Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty.
1: This week on the show, Asia correspondent
0: for NPR, Elise Hugh, and NPR books editor, Barry Hardiman. All right, let's start the show.
2: Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Every week, a different song, but first, as Aunt Betty said, Barry Hardiman, books editor at NPR, an all-around good person. Hello. Hello. And Elise Hugh. Joining us from Asia, covering the Olympics in South Korea, it's also officially your birthday?
1: It officially is. This is such a great way to start my day.
2: (laughs) Don't be so sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this show hasn't gotten very far in yet.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, How are you celebrating besides this?
1: Um, Probably eating uh, some food off of styrofoam under a tent at the Olympics.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So this song that I'm playing, it is called Redemption from the Black Panther soundtrack because it's Black Panther weekend. And I love this song. I love the soundtrack. It's all just so different from your typical superhero comic movie. Yes. Just listen. It's just different. Yeah. I like it. I saw the movie on Tuesday at an advanced screening, and... When something is this big culturally, you're always like, "Is it going to be as good as they say?" And it was as good as they say. (laughs) It was as
1: good as they say.
2: Yeah, it was quite nice.
3: I'm so excited to go see it this very
2: evening. I have tickets in my hot little hands. I love it. I love it. At least is it going to be over
1: there too? I don't think so. I haven't seen any buzz about this, but I'm also in an Olympics bubble. There's that. So and Sam, you remember this from Sochi, so you know how it goes. I have nothing else. No pop culture
3: in my life. Black Panther doesn't penetrate the (laughs) Olympic. (laughs) That feels crazy to me. Not
2: so much. Uh, Listeners, also, in about a week and a half, we're going to have a chat about Black Panther with one of the writers of the comics themselves. So stay tuned for that. Anyways, let's get into it. We are each going to describe how the week of news felt in just three words. Barry, you're up first. So
3: I got all over again. Really, you know, another immigration bill falls apart. Yeah, another four of them. Four of them. I mean, another bing, 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 bing. Yeah, like I, I can't. In quick keep order, track. right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Another awful school shooting, mm-hmm. uh, just shooting plus at a school. Uh, another um, uh, sex scandal involving the president. Uh, yeah. You know, the other day I was looking at the board for our show, which is the Weekend Edition show.
2: The board being like the board, where all the stories exact, show up.
3: It's how we program <laughs> like it. Like the rundown. Um, yes. But, you know, I was looking at it and I thought, my like, this board could be last week's board. And the board mm. before that, when I was like, government shutdown might happen Thursday night, I was like, wow, we are going to do this for the rest of our oh. lives. What I've
2: noticed in those stories you bring up... um. The presence now of visuals that make them seem so much more mm. stark.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, those Snapchats. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I mean, so um, the shooting in Florida this week—these young kids that were trapped <sighs> during the shooting were—they had video, live video, and Snapchats of bullets and guns and tears and, and, dead and classmates. death, and, and and then even. The White House. So this White House staffer, Rob Porter, he was mm-hmm. dismissed over allegations of domestic abuse. There are now photos of his ex-wife with the black eye. Right. And right. so then on top of feeling like we live the same stories over and over again, seems as if these visuals make it hurt even more.
3: We're bombarded yes. with the actual images. Yeah,
2: it's something. Yeah. Elise, you are up next. Describe your week of news in three words.
1: I'm going to say, boy, it's windy. Now okay. that's both literal for the Olympics. The wind is a huge story. We had emergency alerts on our phones. The Alpine skiing schedule is in total disarray out oh, wow. here uh, because of wind gusts that were hurricane force. Really, they reached cat three hurricane speeds, So f- about 50 miles per hour out here. There's like flying debris everywhere. You know, a lot of Olympics food stands and things like that are pop-ups. Oh, so wow. So they were destroyed. It's crazy. I mean, no. there were at least 16 people injured. Oh, Lord. So that's been kind of my world, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> getting stuff in your eye. Oof. But also I say, boy, it's windy because it's also a euphemism, uh, you know, for, for a lot of change. It feels like there's a lot of change afoot. This is Chinese New Year, oh, Chinese huh? New Year Friday. And so out here in Asia, everything's closed. This is like... Um, Christmas and New Year week in the United States oh, wow. during the spring festival week, which is chunjie, what we say in Chinese. But really, it's hard to both pay attention to what's going on here at the Olympics, but then there's this real helplessness that mm-hmm. I feel as an American and then as a, as a news consumer and as a mom, you know, just as a yeah. human. It's quite difficult, especially especially when children are involved. Mm-hmm. So even though I've been real busy... Um, Watching these elite athletes and trying to keep stuff from flying into my eye (laughs) as we walk through wind tunnels. No, it's been really hard to to see what's going on in the States, honestly.
2: So, we're going to talk more about the Olympics in a bit. It's going to be our main story this week in the show. Uh, So, we'll hear more about that wind and other stuff a bit later.
3: Are you wearing goggles? Like when you're going when through I'm, the wind, when I'm, I was—that was, I that was what I was thinking. Mask. I was like, because I love ski goggles, <laughs> and just like, I know I think I they make some. you look kind of cool. Like they're like they a, they're like do. easy athlete look and I feel like if I were you I would just be rocking it I'm
1: just a suggestion wear like a
2: motorcycle helmet Barry doesn't go work full.
1: out but she likes no. to wear workout gear I like wardrobe Listen, guys she
2: is indicative of the state of the fashion industry right now <laughs> That's right. like athletic athleisure. wear <laughs> athleisure That's it's right? a thing That's
1: right. it's a thing that is totally a cultural thing so you'll That's notice always. look, when I go back to the states people are wearing yoga pants like mm-hmm. out right mm-hmm. just, yeah. even though they didn't they're not coming from or going to yoga oh, yeah. you will not <laughs> see that in Korea people come correct in Korea you will never <laughs> <laughs> see yeah. a woman walking around in yoga pants. So when I really want to declare that, hey, I'm an American, you're gonna wear yoga put on pants. athleisure.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so my three words this week are you're supposed to, and that is because I think so many of the news stories I've been following this week, things happened or didn't happen, and I found myself saying to myself, "Well, you're supposed to be doing that." Uh-huh. The mm-hmm. Senate debated immigration all week, and at the top of the week. Mitch McConnell said, we're going to open up the floor for genuine debate to craft this bill (laughs) live and in person. And there were some new senators who said, I've actually never seen that before because they've kind of stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. So there was this sense of expectation and hope that things might happen. The floor debate was much less exciting than some would have hoped for. A lot of it still happened behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the week, four bills to solve our immigration problems They failed. They all failed after what was supposed to be this week of intense, genuine debate to craft some bill. But then towards the end of the week, Donald Trump uh, released this new threat of a veto and it kind of threw things into disarray. So that was the first thing where I said to myself. You're supposed to get this kind of thing right. Mm-hmm. Second thing I said you're supposed to about was um, this whole Rob Porter scandal. This is a senior-level White House staffer who was forced out of the White House uh, after He never
1: had a permanent security he clearance. He had an
2: interim security clearance, and he was, he was also abu- um, accused by uh, two ex-wives of his two. of domestically abusing them. But it took the White House and the president nine days to say— In public, I denounced domestic violence. It shouldn't have taken nine days. Mm -hmm. And even besides that, the extent to which the White House has had to gradually change its story as more details come out... The one thing that your comms team should have together is like the facts of the story. They should be straight. Your ducks should be in a row, right? Mm-hmm. The third thing that made me say you're supposed to this week was this tragic school shooting in Florida. Uh, the shooting was Wednesday at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. 17 people killed. 14 were students. Three were on staff as coaches or teachers who were trying to save their kids. And, you know... A lot of folks have been saying this, including the president. You're supposed to be able to go to school in America and feel safe. And no come one home. feels that. And and come home. It's it's something. And it, it boggles. Yeah. It boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. So I, I feel like every week there are so many times when I just say to myself, you're supposed to be doing something different mm-hmm. or something better. And, yeah, it was a bummer of a week.
3: And it's also, I will say, it's also all the stories that you're talking about are indicative of, and I think we've been not just the flood of images that we were talking about before, but just the flood of stories and news. It's, it's just so much, yeah. you know, like I. You know, this, the velocity. This, yeah, exactly. Like I only just was able to, you know, metabolize the stories of the kids, the stories of yeah. the immigration, the Chris Whipple and Ryan's people. I can't I can't I don't have room. Yes, you know, exactly. I don't have room. I feel like I got my chin just right oh, over yeah. the water.
2: Totally exactly. That is so that is so true. I mean it's just bombardment over and over and over again. Taking a break right now. Coming up, we're gonna talk Olympics and geopolitical intrigue also dog shows and stay tuned because at the end of this episode we have a special music segment for you guys one of my favorite artists of 2017 and 18 nick Hakim. we talked a while back and we got some fun combo about that and music as well you're listening to it's been a minute from npr i'm sam sanders we'll be right back
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover. The traditional first anniversary gift is paper. Most couples aren't gifting each other stationery, but Discover is following this anniversary tradition for its new card members. At the end of your first year, Discover will match all the cash back you earned dollar for dollar. No caps and no cash. That's a paper anniversary gift in the form of a cashback bonus. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Cashback match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply.
3: You've probably heard about this Russia investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller. Every day there's a new headline about it. Well, Embedded is back with two episodes that lay the whole thing out, start to finish, so the news makes sense. Listen on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Barry Hardiman, an editor at NPR's Weekend Edition. Hi. And Elise Hugh, international correspondent, joining us all the way from South Korea where she is covering the Olympics. Hey, hey. Guys, quick question before we hop back into the news. Uh, it's going to be a yes or no. Okay. Ready? Ready? So this week I found out that a startup called Skydio Is launching a new kind of drone. This new high-powered drone, it is capable of visually imprinting on a person.
1: Mm, Like Twilight. Yeah, but once,
2: (laughs) 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 but once it imprints on you, it can then follow you around, and video you. And the MIT Tech Review says that it can navigate around trees and pylons and other obstacles while the whole time shooting video of you. They called it, "quote your very own robotic airborne paparazzo." So my question for you: <laughs> Yes or no? Should this be allowed?
1: No, no. I mean, no. Why are we opting into self-surveillance? But see, this this shows that I might be like too old for something like this because yeah, I feel like, especially in Korea, there's cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's like CCTV everywhere, and people there's no shame in just walking up and down the street, selfieing yourself. And so I could I could see a market for it, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Athletes will and love so- this. Like skiers, <laughs> like downhills, yeah. rope skiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera can just follow yeah. you.
1: Yeah, I would
3: like to watch that.
2: But like my ex, <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> or my current,
1: who knows? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah,
2: too much. So yeah, Skydio, chill. That's yes. what I say. <laughs> All right, now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. We call up a listener and talk to them about news happening in their neck of the woods. Uh, on this show, as you know, dear listeners, we love dogs. And because this week of news was kind of hard, I wanted to lighten things up and talk to a listener named Caitlin LeMay, who has a really great dog story this week. Hey, Caitlin. Hi. How are you?
4: I'm well. How are you?
2: I'm good. Happy to talk with you. Uh, where am I talking to you from? Or where are you now that I'm talking? I messed that up. Where are you? <laughs>
4: I'm in Brooklyn.
2: Okay. All right. I was just in New York last week. So, what do you do in Brooklyn?
4: Um, I work for a small tech nonprofit um, that's actually entirely remote. So, I work from home, which is pretty nice.
2: Oh, man, you're living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're calling you this week because um, I'm sure you must know as a listener to our show. We love dogs over here. Yes. And this was a big week of news in the dog world. The Westminster Dog Show, officially the 142nd Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show, happened this week, Tuesday night. You were there. Mm -hmm. How was it?
4: So many good dogs.
2: Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're all good dogs.
4: They are, yes. And I sort of, I went on a whim with my boyfriend this year. We Saw that there were tickets available and, you know, had watched the show on TV before.
2: Really? How much are tickets?
4: We must have paid around 65 for ours. Really? That's we not that bad. In, yeah. And we were, we had good seats, wow. too. We were in, um, not the section on the floor with all the VIPs, but the first section behind that.
2: Now I'm imagining what a section full of dog show VIPs looks like.
4: Definitely, you might have thought they were dressed for the opera rather than a dog <laughs> show. I felt very underdressed.
2: Was this your first dog show?
4: <laughs> it was. I had watched okay. them on TV before, but I'd never okay. attended one live.
2: So you're not like a dog show person.
4: No, and I have no idea what the judges are, are looking for when they do their thing.
2: They're just looking for good dogs, Joe.
4: Same. <laughs> but I was I was surprised by how rowdy it was. Really? and as a result, even more impressed with all of the dogs. People were clapping and cheering and calling dogs names. (laughs) And the dogs were just true professionals. They didn't react. They stayed focused. Um, But my absolute favorite part was while the dogs are waiting in the sidelines, they're just dog like there is a giant Burmese mountain dog who was sleeping oh for a good 30 minutes and was like it. on his back for most of it
2: <laughs> it's me that would so be me were they friendly with each other on the sidelines
4: they ignored each other the, the humans were friendly with each okay. other okay yeah the dogs must just be trained to tune everything else out
2: gotcha Apparently, when the winner of the Best in Show portion of the dog show was announced, which is like the mm. top prize, uh, it was kind of an upset. Uh, Bichon Frise named Flynn won mm-hmm. Best in Show, and this was a shock?
4: Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't shocked because he was definitely like the type of dog that you would expect an old rich person to have. <laughs> we
2: and should I should stop and describe that... the dog first. It's a, it's a small Fluffy, white hair with, like, this kind of, like, a blowout. Like, just fluffy.
4: Yeah, basically a giant cotton ball. (laughs) So I just sort of assumed that that's the type of dog that always wins. Hmm. Um, But the clear crowd favorite was Biggie the Pug, who was a very good boy. Biggie the Pug. yeah, I my personal it. favorite was Bean, the Sussex Spaniel. Okay. He, in my opinion, had the best personality and was a true rock star. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, people had been cheering and chanting for Biggie and some for Bean, and then... As we were filing out at the end, we heard some people behind us who were really mad, and were saying like, "I can't believe that he he was hideous."
2: (laughs) No dog is hideous.
4: A little far. Flynn was cute. All dogs are good. I
2: would pick Biggie just for the name alone.
4: I know. Oh, and he was so good too. Oh,
2: are you a dog owner yourself?
4: (laughs) Um, I'm not, but I hope to be soon. Do
2: that. Make that happen. Go rescue one yeah. ASAP.
4: Working on it. <laughs> okay.
2: Thanks for chatting. Have a good weekend. All
4: right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
2: The dog had a blowout. <laughs> I swear to you. I always back the beagle. <laughs> okay. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, have you seen the photos? Google no, go right go right it right now. Right. Here There we go. Listeners, we want to hear from you for this segment. If you want me to give you a call, talk about whatever, uh, email me samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org we also welcome your dog photos to said email address so because we have Elise here and she is in South Korea I wanted to talk about one of my favorite storylines ever of all time all the time the Olympics Y'all know I love the Winter
1: Olympics. Winter Olympics are lit, man. It's lit. Yep. I love no, it. No, can I tell you about the Winter Olympics and why I think it's the better Olympics? Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I don't know where y'all fall on this. I fall I'll with you. Go. <laughs> I feel like... Pretty much every event at the Winter Olympics, maybe with the exception of curling, if a mere mortal tried it, yeah. we oh, would yeah. be dead. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah, it, it, it would just. Oh, kill yeah. you. Whereas, like Summer Olympics, I mean, it's like, oh, I can run across a track,
3: right? Right. But, like I but can't skeleton. S- yeah, no. I mean, right. No <laughs> biathlon. Sh- right. Pairs figure skating. There's blades, guys. There's actual <laughs> blades <laughs> <That's>... involved.
2: <laughs> so I wanted to bring you in this week, Elise, to talk about all of the plot lines happening around the games besides the medal count and the competition and who's winning. And one of the things that I really love about the Olympics is how they kind of can function as a microcosm or a barometer for the state of global geopolitics. I'm thinking about Kim Jong-un's sister being there. I'm thinking about Mike Pence and what he said and did or didn't say and do while he was there. Were there any trend lines you saw with that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, so we had this big weekend. Yeah, we had this big weekend of Kim Yo-jong, so the younger sister um, who has been really fascinating all of South Korea and South Korean media. Because she's been out here doing diplomacy and showing up at all these events with other world leaders, uh, with the president of South Korea. She eventually left at the beginning of this week. Uh, Coming out of that, the South Korean president said that he is uh, moving and trying to get the U.S. to sit down with North Korea. Really? Yeah, Mike Pence. He says he didn't avoid Kim Yo-jong, even though they were just a few feet away from each other. He purposely ignored her for political reasons. But on his way home to the U.S. from Asia, he said that the U.S. would be willing to talk. And so there is some movement on this um, all of a sudden. So even though the Trump administration is going to continue its what it calls its maximum pressure campaign, uh, Mike Pence also simultaneously said, well, if they want to talk, we'll talk.
3: God, proximity is so powerful.
2: Yes, it's proximity so true. is
3: really just being near
2: someone is yes, powerful. Yes, it changes things. Are Koreans hopeful that something might come out of this diplomatically? Or are they just kind of saying this is I really- think South
1: Koreans have kind of been here before. Like mm-hmm. North Korea has played this game, right? They mm-hmm. have marched together uh, with athletes from the South for the 2000 Sydney Olympics, mm-hmm. only to then test a nuclear device not too long after. And so South Koreans are wary. I think they do. They, they don't want to get caught in this trap again. But at the same time, they have been cheering on the North Korean athletes. There's only mm. two uh, North Korean athletes that are actual elite athletes who legitimately qualified mm. for the games. It's a pair uh, figure skating team. A lot of South Koreans showed up to cheer them on. And so I think in in a lot of the minds of South Koreans, it's this notion of, hey, You know, we are one people that we were separated by this civil war. It's highly unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, And now North Korea, because of its missile and nuclear programs, is really threatening our peace. Mm -hmm. And so if there were a way to work this out, then it would be more peaceful on the peninsula. And I think everybody wants that.
2: Is there any way to predict what might happen after the Olympics or we just don't know yet?
1: Well, we know that the U.S. and South Korea want to resume their military drills, their Mm -hmm. war games, which North Korea hates because North Korea considers that a provocation. So that's going to be an opportunity for things to go kind of sideways again in terms of the
2: rhetoric. Yeah. Second thing I want to talk to you about is um, I've noticed this Olympics from the U.S. team. It is particularly symbolic, I think, to see so many Asian-American athletes do so well at a Games taking place in south korea i'm talking about chloe kim who has south korean parents nathan chen who is chinese-american the Sibs, um, mm, who are of japanese Shib-Sibs descent adorable. maya and alex shibutani marai nagasu who is only the third woman in history to land a triple axel at the olympics also asian-american it is is, it, it is a very serendipitous moment i think to see them happen now at this games mm-hmm. am i are folks over there seeing this too
1: I'm so glad that you brought this up because uh, 13 Asian-Americans are part of the U.S. Olympic team uh, at the Winter Games. And fully half of the U.S. figure skating squad is Asian-American. So it's really awesome. Yeah. And then I think Chloe Kim has had to address a lot of questions about her identity. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, she settled on this, the line that... Not only is she proud to represent America as an American, th- she's happy to see that the Korean people are really celebrating her victory as well, because yeah. Korea is the country of her parents, you know, and she has so much extended family. And so she kind of gets the best of both worlds.
2: Her South Korean grandmother was like in the stands, right? For the first yes. time she saw her compete in person. Yeah. That's
1: so lovely. Yeah. And it was so moving, especially in the story about her father and how much he sacrificed uh for her uh, love of snowboarding, and you know, she got on a board when she was four years old. Oh, wow. And then to see him share in her victory, it was really, really incredible. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love snowboarding too because they get to have their... Um, you know, earbuds in the entire time.
2: I think she played a Cardi B song if I recall oh, correctly. Oh,
1: Cardi B was for her third run. Okay. <laughs> she couldn't remember her second, I think, and then the first was Lady Gaga. I believe
2: oh,
3: God. love
2: little <laughs> So I also want to talk about though, you know, thinking about storylines that we keep seeing each week, one that has even manifest itself at the Olympics are these allegations of, of uh, a sexual harassment. The legendary American snowboarder, Sean White, he had to apologize um, over some allegations of harassment after he won the gold in South Korea this week. White actually settled a sexual harassment lawsuit last year. I still keep thinking about the U.S. gymnastics uh, <sighs> scandal, even though that's not a sport at this Games. But, at least, how heavily have these kind of issues been hanging over the Games, if at all?
1: Well, I have to tell you, they've been largely raised by journalists mm. because mm. the U.S. Olympic Committee really has been reluctant to go there and especially doesn't like it uh, and has bristled at journalists trying to ask about Larry Nasser, who was the uh, U.S. gymnastics team doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, with Sean White, he called the allegations against him gossip which then he had to apologize for. He mm. said that was a poor choice of words. Yeah. But constantly what you hear from him and then his handlers is uh, he's here to talk about the Olympics. He's mm. here to talk about his competition.
3: One thing that I think is sort of interesting, you know, this week, Ariana Kukors, who was a former Olympic swimmer, she used to be a record holder. Um, she released a statement about um, a relationship that she had with her coach beginning when she was 15. Oh, mm. and stretching um, through her 20s. Um, that was uh, extremely detrimental to her. Um, and I, again, I, we keep saying, well, that's not the, the Winter Olympics. But what I think is important to remember is that while Nasser got a lot of attention, I- in any sport you have a relationship with your coach in which you have this sort of unconditional um You're going to do what they say. Like it is based on entire loyalty, total loyalty, Mm -hmm. total trust. And when that's abused, it is Mm -hmm. so harmful because there is no real recourse because you have spent your life in this environment, and it has put a little spin on it for me as I watch it. It has made me feel a little uncomfortable and thinking these were these were relationships that we didn't question, and I wonder what's going to happen in the next six months. You know,
2: and you know just. You saying that, seeing stuff now with different eyes. One of the things that I was looking at this week, watching male figure skating, is how thin these men are. Oh, and yes. knowing oh that gosh. Adam Ripon, this amazing American skater, mm. spilled the beans this week and said, "Oh yeah, the men kind of have to starve We're themselves." Starving ourselves. Yeah. yeah. He was saying that some days he would only eat three slices of wheat bread, Ugh. and if you know if the men are having to do it, the women probably have to do it twice as hard. Oh, please. To end on an up note, I got to say, Elise, one thing I've loved watching this games are all the athletes and their amazingly awesome social media feeds. Um, It feels like this crop of athletes, they have grown up fully immersed in Internet and social media. And so when you watch some of them on Instagram or on Snapchat or on Twitter, they're just killing the game.
1: And they're actually tweeting between runs. (laughs) Can you imagine having the presence of mind? Like, while they're competing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chloe Kim, I'm like, where do you keep your phone when you're coming down? And also, why is it always charged? Right? <laughs> I was a little like, I would not be able to keep it
3: charged all the time.
2: I just love how Chloe Kim basically was tweeting about like food choices the entire right, week. I She's want like, I want, I want a churro, yeah. I need some ice cream. Oh,
3: I love it. I, but I love also, I mean, it is so wonderful Like how much they're, I mean, I want to say kids because they're just like, they are digital natives. Yes. They, are, they grew up on this and it means that there's so much more access oh, yeah. to their personality. Exactly. You don't have to guess the way yes. you sort of used to.
2: And, you know, for so long, coverage of the Olympics was so micromanaged and Mm. the network that aired the olympics they had access to everything you saw from there Mm -hmm. and i think now that we can see these folks share their entire experience it is a new level of access that we would not get from the networks
3: and it's freeing
2: yeah on that happy note we're going to take a break when we come back we'll play my favorite game it's called who said that you're listening to
0: npr's it's been a minute Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter can help. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash minute. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build
1: it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most
2: inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Elise Hugh in South Korea covering the Olympics for NPR. Hello. Hello, and right here in DC with me, Barry Hardiman, books editor at NPR. Hello, hi. All right, guys, uh, podcast listeners, stay tuned after our best things segment for a special chat I had with one of my favorite musicians of the moment. His name is Nick Hakeem. We talk about how we got into music. We play some cool jams from him. So stick around after the credits, okay? But for now, it's time for my favorite game. It is called Who Said That?
1: Ooh, <laughs>
2: So you guys know how this works. It's so simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or at least guess the story it's tied to. Just get close. Um, The winner, as you know, gets absolutely nothing. Shall we start? (laughs) Nothing. Well, get nothing. I always
1: lose. It's okay. You
2: might win this week. What does the loser
1: get? What does the loser get?
2: (laughs) More nothing. (laughs) Nothing squared. Here we go. First quote. Not to start this off super heavy or anything, but I'm literally the last of my species. Who said that?
3: The Bichon freeze <laughs>
2: <laughs> No. I'll give you another quote from the same okay. uh, thing. I know, intense stuff, but that's why I'm on here, in hopes of finding my perfect match so we can save our own kind. No pressure.
3: Oh, my God. Elise, help. Should I just... uh... It's a frog. <laughs> that's
1: from – is
2: it's, it which frog? It's a frog that had a Match.com profile this <gasps> week. Oh, my God. That's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. And here's the backstory. So this was a Bolivian frog at the Cochabamba Natural History Museum. His handlers made a Match.com profile for him because he's like about to—he's the last one left, and he needs to breed to keep the species alive, right? He is called Romeo. He's a Saywincus water frog. So the Match.com profile was meant to get the word out. It also has a link to a donation page because they want to send folks out to like hunt for a real-life mate for him.
1: What kind of um, replies did they get? (laughs) I don't even know. know. This is so sad. And during Valentine's week,
2: oh! Our producer Brent says he needs to get on Tinder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right
2: next quote you ready mm-hmm. i am a gay kid from indiana who moved to hollywood in 1989 with 55 dollars in savings in my pocket Yay. so the fact that my dreams have crystallized and come true in such a major way is emotional and overwhelming to me i guess someone knows this
1: adam ripon, my favorite. Wait, uh, no wait, <laughs> wait a minute, 1989 so that wouldn't ready. work for adam ripon it's oh it's it's
2: wait a minute it, it wait, was I, a
1: i just read this quote.
2: It was a big deal announced this week.
3: Oh, Ryan Murphy. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I just you all the people I was so excited about this week just all came out. Like, all my favorite, like, oh, my God.
2: So that quote was from Ryan Murphy. You guys might know him as the creator of Glee, the creator of American Crime Story, and American Horror Story.
3: And Feud.
2: Which one is Feud?
3: Feud is the um, Betty Davis, oh, Joan Crawford people.
1: <laughs> of course, Barry Hardiman loves That,
3: that. is like running through my do. veins right now, Listeners, whatever. If you could see Barry.
2: Barry oh. is just oh. emoting right now. Yes. I love it. Ooh. So, the news this week was that Ryan Murphy signed a new deal with Netflix to make content for them. The deal is $300 million. He deserves every penny.
3: Does anyone deserve all those No, no one deserves it. As I said that, I was like, oh, no, something bad's going to happen next week. (laughs) My
2: bigger question with all this is, like, companies like like Netflix and Hulu are just throwing money at projects Mm -hmm. and content. But there was also news this week that Hulu, over the last year, lost $920 million. That's crazy. So my question is, like, are we in line for a— Prestige TV or a content bubble crashed?
3: Well, I think everybody's trying to out out, out content each yeah. other. And it's, and it, I mean, it, too Netflix is yeah. working.
2: That's it. Netflix, you want some content? Call me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barry, you're up one to zip. Elise, come on, you can do this. I believe in okay. you. <clears> okay. <throat> Ready? Final quote. Here it is The allegedly infringed lyrics are short phrases that lack the modicum of originality and creativity required. For copyright protection.
1: That would be Taylor Swift. Yes.
2: Oh, you got it. Right.
1: Shut haters up. gonna hate, 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 yes, hate, hate. Yes, hate,
2: hate, yes, hate, hate, yes, hate. yes. So <laughs> Taylor's people got sued uh, by two songwriters, Sean Hall and Nathan Butler. They said that her song, Shake It Off, was too similar to a minor hit from the girl group 3LW called <laughs> Play Is Gonna Play. Hit the tape, Brent. <laughs> Remember this song? Yes! So 3L Dubs was like, we had it first.
3: I remember I remember this video. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, and this
3: is a TRL video, for it's sure. So
2: TRL. Yeah. I'm but the courts were aim. like, nah. Nah. So the judge also wrote of this case, quote, In the early 2000s, popular culture was adequately suffused with the concepts of players and haters. To render the phrases, play is going to play, or haters going to hate, on their own, no more creative than runners going to run, drummers going to drum, or swimmers going to swim.
1: Yeah. I'm with the courts on this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, I wouldn't mess with Taylor in
2: court. She usually always wins. I was just
3: about to say, <laughs> like, like, Taylor, she's got you. Yeah,
2: yeah. So Taylor Swift might win in court, but in this game today... We'll let you guys both take the podium together. All
3: right. Thank you. That's good.
2: All right. That concludes Who Said That? All right, guys. It's almost time to end the show, as we always do, by having our listeners share with us the best things that happened to them all week. But first, I want to follow up on one of the best things that we played in the show last week. Last week on the show, um, a listener named Minnie called us up because, listen, guys, she saw Beyonce at a soul cycle in Los Angeles. What? I know. So we heard this tape. What? And I was like, I had to call her back. You said
3: a random soul cycle? Yeah. You can do that? <laughs> you can. I am going good try soul cycle. That'll
1: be my sport.
2: <laughs> That's it. Do the soul cycle. Then you're gonna
1: run into Beyoncé. Yeah. This is Ooh, incredible. You oh, told yeah. me
2: that. Right? So I had to call her back and we chatted a bit earlier this week and I was like, Minnie, how was this time about the experience? The first thing she says to me was, One, Beyonce was not the only celebrity there.
4: At the end of the class they like, turn around and the back of the class is Usher, Usher Raymond. Are you
0: serious? Wait, whoa, whoa, already, whoa.
4: <laughs> which is already crazy. I was like, what? Usher has been here the entire time?
2: Usher Raymond was also there in the back of the class. So she's leaving the class once it's done. And as she's leaving, then at the back door of the Soul Cycle Gym, she sees not just Beyonce, but Beyonce and Jay Z walking in for the next class. Uh-uh. And so she tries to keep it cool and keep moving, but then she sees Beyonce in the bathroom. And as I'm, you know, fiddling with all my stuff, in walks Beyonce. To the bathroom.
1: And <laughs> into the bathroom, like she's a normal person. She's just like us. <laughs> she's just like us. She uses the loo.
2: And so Beyonce is like getting ready to ride, trying to get all set.
4: So Beyonce's trying to type her hair, and like a couple of the hair ties break, and they kind of, like, fly off her head. Oh, Lord. And she's like, uh, She goes, uh And I was like, hi, Beyonce. <laughs> don't worry.
3: <laughs> I didn't see anything.
2: So she's like, Beyonce, don't worry. Your secret's safe with me. And then she told us everything. <laughs>
3: um, oh, my God. She said
2: it was a great moment. She had to sit for a while to compose herself before she drove home. But uh, big theme of this, Beyonce, she's just like you and me.
3: Yes. And also, I, that's a reason to work out. I have never so stuck on, like, that's amazing. It's nice. Also, only Beyonce could make Usher, me not that excited about Usher. Oh, right? Yeah, like, so, Usher, no. who's that? Sorry, Usher.
2: <laughs> so with that, let's hear some new best things from this week. Hey, Sam.
4: This is Kat from New York City. The best thing to happen to me all week was on Saturday when I got to fly home to California to surprise my mom for her birthday. Nice. Hi. Nice.
1: Oh, oh, my God. Hi. <laughs> Oh my God.
4: <laughs> what are you doing here? Survive. I cried, she cried. It just
3: was amazing.
2: That's so sweet.
3: Love the show. Bye, Sam. Bye. Hi, Sam. This is Hana calling from South Korea. The best thing that happened to me all week was that I got to go to the Olympics. Hey! I got to go visit my mom in Florida,
2: nice. and she surprised
3: me with a trip to Harry Potter World. <gasps> Hell yeah! I did karaoke for the first time at a bar in
4: front of a bunch of strangers. Yay! Oh, good for you. The best part of my week has been getting to fly home to Houston from Germany to celebrate the Lunar New Year with my family for the first time in five years.
2: Yeah. Nice. Happy
1: New Year. Hey Sam, this is Esther from the Netherlands. Hey there. Uh, the best thing that happened to me all week was that I made dinner for my entire family for the first time all by
0: myself. Ah. Hey, Sam, this is Tony from Vermont. The best thing that happened to me this week is that after a crazy amount of time and paperwork and fees and red tape, I finally got my approval to become a permanent resident in Canada. Right. So instead of just seeing her on the weekends,
2: I get to spend every night with my amazing wife. Oh, it's awesome.
3: Hey, Sam, the worst part of last week, I finished my vacation and had to come home. But the <laughs> best part, it was in Costa Rica, my mother's home country. And I was there with my two little sons, Seb and Sam, Hey. And they got to meet our family for the first time, all 50-plus of them. Wow. And on one of my last days there, I was walking and holding hands with my 4-year-old. Oh. And out of the blue, he said to me, Dad, I'm really happy to be here in Costa Rica with you. Oh! And that
2: just made my year. Oh, that's beautiful.
5: Hi, Sam. My name is Alex Davis, and
2: I'm hey, Alex. a proud alum from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Partland, Florida, oh. where the shootings happened yesterday. Mm. This morning, I woke up to find almost 10,000 fellow MSD grads coming together in support of each other. Mm. All day we've been telling stories and sharing old pictures, ridiculous yearbook pictures, and also we've been mourning the loss of our friends and family and our teachers. Yeah. And surprisingly, get-togethers are now happening all around the country,
5: even one in my little neck of the woods, Asheville, North Carolina. Wow. So my heart is filled
2: up seeing how much love there is out there. Thanks,
1: and keep up the great work. Hope you all have a great week. Thanks. Love the show. Bye.
2: Bye. Special thanks to all the voices you heard there. Kat, Hannah, Meredith, Taylor, Somai, Esther, Tony, Jerome, and Alex Davis. Thanks for that note. Sending good thoughts to you and the entire community there at any time throughout any week send me the sound of your voice telling me the best part of your week email us samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org alright guys we did it we did it yeah y'all were the best things of my week
1: this is such a nice end to it
2: let's just stay in the studio (laughs) I know Uh, let's get
3: Elise here and like toast her birthday happy birthday Elise.
2: yes
1: thank you guys this is such a great way to start the day it means a lot.
2: We're going to go out on a different song this week, not the song that we began the show with, because the show is not over. You're hearing a song called Green Twins. It is a title track of an album that I love uh, by an artist named Nick Hakim. Our colleague here at NPR, Lars Gottrich, he says this is, quote, soul music for outer space. So Nick Hakim has a great Tiny Desk concert up at NPRmusic.org right now. Uh, here's my chat with Nick Hakim. Enjoy. We could have moved to LA.
5: It's
2: sunny right out there. I gotta show you something. Yeah. Because uh, I wanna make sure that you believe me when I say this. I stream most of my music now. And I mostly stream through Spotify, but I also have Tidal and Apple and whatever. You sir were my number one streamed song what? of
5: 2017.
2: <laughs> nice. Uh, wow. Yeah. I yeah. love that they do this. That's uh, no,
5: they're cool. cool. Yeah. Wow, yeah.
2: man. Thank you. So I'm serious. So I so my favorite song from the album, my favorite song of the year is Roller Skates. Wow, cool. I remember specifically when I first heard it. Um, I was in LA. And I was driving to pick up a friend from the airport, and I had KSRW on. And they started playing your song, but they hadn't announced that it was your song yet. I didn't know who you were, but like the drums come in, like, chick, boom, boom,
5: chick, boom, boom,
2: chick. I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. This is gonna be some little indie pop something. <laughs> then the guitars come in, like, chick, chick. and I was like, oh, this is gonna be some little, you know, little old whiteboard music. And then the vocals come in, and I'm like, Hick. Oh. He he can sing. This is soul music. And then before you know it, the song has swelled. And this beautiful layering of vocals. The song like washes over you. Do this thing with a few of your songs, or before you know it, there's been this slow and steady burn, and then by the end of the song, it's on fire. Yeah, it must be purposeful.
5: So yeah, a lot of that had to do with not really having like a premeditated way of how to end the song. Really? It's just (laughs) like I would just let it go, and then I would. But that would leave a lot of space for crazy vocal expression. And and on roller skates specifically, I did the first verse and the first chorus. Uh, the vocals were all recorded on my laptop microphone
2: huh like singing into your laptop yeah,
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no microphone yeah wow but yeah the endings of the songs when you said that they feel like they're like on fire those were like grand crazy beautiful yeah. moments
2: of yeah. uh, of catharsis of, almost yeah exactly it's, you're letting something
5: out exactly
2: what are you letting out?
5: just everything just, <laughs> and, and it's like it's, it's honestly just like I like experimenting with my voice and I like yeah. learning how to use it in different ways and I think the endings of some of these songs are like a real test to myself of like what I'm capable of.
2: Swallow me. Another song on the album where you get that crescendo at the end. I'd say Needy Bees, like, just has that moment at the end where everything is, like, kind of crashing into each other.
0: It's
2: like
5: that, like, crazy, that weird, like, string line. The...
2: That's a lovely counterpoint. Thanks. Well, and then you have that going, you got the vocals going, and then there's like yeah. some weird like,
5: wow, 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 that's out of the that's back. Just, What that's was just, that? That was my vocal going, yeah, yeah, but then I just pitched it up. Really? So
2: that's whatever. your voice.
5: Yeah, but it's just <laughs> pitched up.
2: And also, this song ended up in an episode of Insecure. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, did you know that was going to happen? Yeah, I did. I, it did. How I did. just did not happen?
5: Didn't... I'm not entirely sure how they heard it, but. From what I
2: understand, Raphael Sadiq and Solange do the music for right. Insecure. I think that Issa Rae might have
5: had something to do with
2: it. Well, to be she honest. said that she plays your
5: music every day. I mean, I'm a big fan of Issa Rae, and I. Yeah. I like, Awkward Black Girl, I remember when oh, that so came good. out. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, like, I was like in college, and I yeah. was she's I mean, like, she's funny. She's <laughs> funny.
2: She's got it. Yeah. She's
5: and smart and yeah. amazing and beautiful, and just like a really great person. Yeah. It seems like she has like. A really great vision for what she's doing. Yeah.
1: Tell me about
2: it. Let's talk a little bit about your story. Um, I want you to walk me through this moment that I read about, where kind of everything changed for you. You're 17. Was it a friend or a girlfriend? She invites you to go to church with her, and you hear the music there, and then you're like, "I want to do the piano." Huh. This is what I. This is what I've read. So.
5: I had a really good friend, and she went to this—she uh, used to sing in this gospel choir okay. for a church. It was a choir that was, like, open to a lot of different okay. communities and kind of had all these different kids from from different, like, backgrounds and stuff.
2: What and kind of music were they singing? Gospel. So, like, mm-hmm. but it was black like, gospel. Yeah. Okay.
5: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And anyways, so you heard that, and did that change things for you?
5: Well, that taught me a lot, because I, I was just curious, and I ended up working for the, um, for the musical director— this guy Ricky Payton Jr. Okay. But then I, I don't know, I started I mean, I've always been into R and B and kind of always was slowly unraveling where that um the DNA of that was yeah. where that was from, which is black like the church. And yeah. I think that once I was exposed and started singing, you know, like the black national anthem and like, <laughs> I'm like if you met me then uh i was then being, being the like most... when you're
2: 17 or what yes okay.
5: when i when i was when i was uh just starting to learn how to sing yeah. and perform and yeah. to play piano and instruments and like i was the most shy like it was very difficult for me to really? project my voice i had a very like i sang from like my vo- my throat and like i, I do the know old how to voice can you still do the way i can't you i really, really can't huh. i actually tried. i listened really? to myself it's very unbearable for me to Sing the way, and I, I would move my head. I couldn't like stay still. Like huh. it, I couldn't be like it was yeah. a really like, but I just knew that that was something that I wanted to do. So I just kept going and.
2: And I think like on the album, so much of your vocals are layered. You're in harmony with yourself. Yeah. And at this tiny desk. It was stripped down. Yeah. You know?
5: I mean, now on the album, the vocals are completely stacked.
2: How many stacks do you do? Because I hear
5: it. It sounds so deep. Depends. I tried not to overdo it, but okay. there was one song that had, like, 40 vocal tracks. Stop it.
1: <laughs> Which song? Uh,
5: the Want. Uh, yeah that song had like all but it was also like the arrangement was just crazy and I would just stack the same thing like over and over again that's the that's the thing about recording on a computer sometimes yeah. like you can kind of endlessly record stack yourself or just keep re- recording things so what I, point on the want would, would we be most able to hear the forty voices stacked? uh probably towards the end though like all the background vocals like there's they're just like really swelled yeah yeah yeah. record myself in, like, whatever room I was in and just kind of crank up the microphone and just kind of step away. I would repeat and stack the same thing over and over again. It's, like, one of the most liberating and fun things for me.
2: To liberating work. and fun, because I'm th- I'm sitting here thinking about hearing 40 versions of my voice and then be like, get it away <laughs> from me! Yeah. it really is. Totally. I want to talk a little bit about the lyrics of your songs. Um, You don't use a lot of words in these songs, but when you do, I find them to be really, really powerful. Like a song like Bet She Looks Like You. If If there's a God, I wonder what she looks like. I bet, she looks like you. Mm. I bet she looks like you. Who are you singing that to?
5: I think that it's one of those kind of things that I was thinking about my partner. Yeah, the fact that she has the ability to create life. I don't know, just kind of um, glorifying like our women. Yeah, I think especially like my my lady, she's black and she goes through a lot of things that I'll never understand. Mm. Mm. Oh, I think she's a goddess, yeah With your breath.
0: Oh, when you breathe.
5: but you know i mean i mean it's all this is all just a beautiful way of kind of sharing and just kind of it's uh truly an extension of myself, so it's 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 really interesting to have other people kind of listen to it and and I, I just hopefully not gonna be making the same sounding. Record for the next projects that I do.
2: Although if you did, I'd still enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I
5: don't know. I mean, I'm trying to explore and learn and grow, and I'm also just trying to have fun.
2: Are you having fun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I, I am glad you put this out in the world, man. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it.
5: Thank you for talking to me.
2: Nick Hakeem, his album green twins was one of my favorites of 2017 you'll like it too i'm sure of it before we end the show i want to take a special moment to acknowledge a special person my dear friend trusted colleague and producer of this show brent bachman he just turned 30 happy birthday brent the show was produced this week by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Uh, Steve Nelson is our Director of Programming. We had editing help this week from Jeff Rogers. And our big boss is NPR's VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. I feel like-